Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Radical Personal Finance is a 100% listener-funded project. If you're a listener and you like the project enough to consider funding it, please go to RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Today on the show, we talk with Steve Burns. Steve is the founder of New Trader University. He is a stock trader who's been investing and trading his own accounts for more than two decades. I think you're going to enjoy this inside look at somebody who only trades their own accounts and doesn't have an agenda beyond education. Welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. My name is Joshua Sheets, and I'm your host. Thank you so much for being here. Today's interview is a good one. It's nice to talk with somebody who's just involved in trading their own accounts, and I think you're going to like the transparency and authenticity of today's interview. We're going to dig through some of the conflicts of interest that exist in trading, talk about how to get started, and how you can figure out if you should consider becoming a stock trader. My interviewee today is a man named Steve Burns, and Steve was introduced to me by a listener of the show. I wasn't previously aware of his work, but listeners – and by the way, if you have people that you'd like to see on the show, please uh, connect them. The best way to do it is send me an email, joshua at radicalpersonalfinance.com, and then CC them on the email so that they know that you are recommending them and they'll have a little bit of a heads up. But uh, I love recommendations from the audience, and I'm happy to bring all kinds of people on the show if you can uh, suggest them. So this is uh, one example of that happening. Uh, Steve is a has been fascinated with financial markets for a very long time, and he's been trading his own accounts for a very long time, and he's working hard on his own financial independence plan. As you'll hear in today's interview, he's almost there. What's interesting about Steve, though, is with the exception of his current product project, uh, which is called New Trader University, which we will talk about in today's show, he's primarily been investing and trading for his own accounts, and he's learned a lot of things the hard way. He's not working managing a mutual fund portfolio. He is not an advisor on any publicly traded funds. He's not establishing publicly traded funds. He's not involved in the formal side of the business. Primarily, he's been involved in running his own accounts and then as he has learned over the years, he's gone on to write some books about investing and also to build out a website and a course about investing. And you'll hear the details of that in today's show. What I try to do with this interview, and I hope you like it, is just simply get past the normal professional uh, <laughs> normal professional side of things and try to find out a little bit about Steve and his actual experience. I know many of you are interested in trading. I'm interested in trading. And yet it's a bit daunting to figure out how to get started. So that's what I really tried to probe at in today's interview. Hope you like it. Here we go. Steve, welcome to the Radical Personal Finance Podcast. I appreciate you being with me today. Hi. Hey, hey how you doing, Josh? 
So I've been looking forward to this since a couple of listeners recommended you and your site, New Trader U, uh, New Trader University, uh, as being a good fit for the show. So what I'd love to do is why don't you kick it off with a little bit about your background and how you got into the world of stock trading? Yeah, I've, I've been fascinated with the stock market and the financial markets far back as I can remember. I can't remember not looking at that stock ticker prices in newspapers even before the internet existed. And, um, you know, I was fascinated with numbers and compound returns and interest and, and business and entrepreneurship. And it's just always been something I've always done and uh, working on building capital for the last uh, about tw- over 20 years now. And um, it's always been something I like. Other men love sports and ESPN. It's always been uh, uh, financial news networks and uh, the stock market for me. Is is your interest particularly tied to your own personal financial goals, or is it more of about uh, the art of it, the expression of kind of the challenge, or is it tied to hey, I want to be rich so I can accomplish these certain things? I think it's all all of the above. You know, it's a it's a game that I enjoy doing. I'd probably do it as a game just for the for the sake of it. And I also love the financial benefits of having you know phenomenal returns and great trades and and large amounts of capital to manage, and uh, I, I enjoy all of those things. How long have you been trading? I have been actively in the market since uh, early 90s, about okay. 92 is when I started, uh, started, actually started with an investment account. And just with your own money, or are you trading other people's money for them? No, I've only traded my own money and fam- family's money, and, uh, and after just dealing with managing family's money... Uh, I'm perfectly happy trading my own account. <laughs> Understood. Do you ascribe to a particular style? Is there a specific strategy that you use that would help the audience to relate to your approach to investing? Yeah, my, my background's really in um, in trend following all the way back to uh, some of the legends of our industry it was Jesse Livermore, uh, Ed Sakota, William J. O'Neill. It's really uh, the trend following approach where that we, we capture long-term trends and uh, and trade in the direction. It's more a reactive technical analysis as opposed to fundamental analysis or investing. What would you say is the average length of your of your trading windows? Do you have any idea on how long you stay in a position? Yeah, on a, on a good, normal, healthy market, I can hold positions for months at a time, for over, for over a month. Probably recently, it's probably been a good, great trades were well, about three or four weeks in duration. And I'm interested to know, and I hope you don't mind my asking, how, so at the moment, do you make all of your income from trading your own account? No, I primarily trade for capital appreciation on my accounts. I do have different businesses. You know, I do have a website. I do have books I've published. I, uh, have, other, I have other multiple streams of income. I try not to spend my capital unless I have to for, for daily expenses. Okay. So that leads into kind of my gotcha question. I hope you're ready for it. <laughs> if you're so good at trading stocks, why on earth do you spend any time doing all these other things like writing and maintaining a website and all of that? And so that's what's so funny is uh, my first, I didn't, I didn't want to actually blog. One of my friends who made websites made me the blog and said, here, do this. You're good at this. You like doing it. You talk about it all the time. Why not blog? So instead of driving everybody crazy around me, I express myself through blogging, which I actually enjoyed, and actually it, it helps me learn myself. And then uh, and the website evolved from there. And actual, I used to be a uh, top book reviewer on Amazon for trading books. You know, for me it was a way to log what I learned in uh, like a book report format on Amazon. So I ended up being like top 
top couple hundred in the country at one time for Amazon reviewers. So uh, some other people approached me about publishing books about it since I had all these top reviews and all these trading books. So I thought, well, that'd be good. And actually, uh, the books I've written, I've had my best trading years right after writing a book about it because you know, the best way I think I learn is through uh, teaching and, and getting my own thoughts clear. Interesting, because that's one of the things that I've often it's often been recommended to me and then I've also recommended other people is to get establish yourself as an expert in your industry by reading widely and then posting reviews and posting your own content. And it's, <laughs> it's interesting to hear someone who followed that formula <laughs> and to hear how it worked out for you. <laughs> yeah. It's sort, of, sort of accidental almost sort of like people asked me to do it and I did it you know, begrudgingly and then I actually enjoyed it and it worked out good for me and it worked out well. So your learning process to become a trader, where did you start and what were some of the dead ends that you turned down and what were some of the good decisions that really led to your uh, becoming a competent trader? And, uh, I had the unfortunate of in the 90s just being lucky and uh, I just went all into tech. It made sense to me. I had all these uh, high aggressive tech mutual funds that I just bought and held for years and and had some crazy returns in the 90s. By the time I was uh, was about 27 years old, I had enough in my uh, in my investment account to pay off my house when I was 27 years old. So I thought, you know, this is amazing. This is simple. And, uh, you know, but I didn't understand all the dynamics of cutting losses and, and limiting drawdowns and risk exposure and end up giving back half of that account, you know, at, at, from 2001, 2002 into the crash after the Internet bubble. So I still had half of my capital left, so I had to learn to rebuild and grow it and grow it again. And that was a, that really helped me learn. From 2003 on, I've just had some a nice, steady uh, returns. It's been, a, it's been great. And my a biggest accomplishment, though, I learned was in 2008, I went to cash. I did not take the 50% drawdown in 2008, 2009. I went to cash in my major investment accounts, and then I actually day traded for a year and a half instead of, uh, instead of uh, longer-term trend following, which I actually stopped doing that, too. But it was a good way to protect capital at the time. Did you do you feel like you made your decisions in two thousand and eight competently, or were did you just get a stroke of blind luck? No, I, I no, it was. It, I knew from two thousand three. I knew if I could get my get back to where I started in my capital, which would take a one hundred percent return after a fifty percent drawdown, and if I could get back there, I would not give it up again. It would. I would not give it up. You know, expose myself to risk, and I spent. Uh, years, you know, those years, 2000, 2005, 2006, really studying risk management, position sizing, and uh, trading, you know, getting more away from investing and more into trading, you know, being more of an active trader, being able to be defensive about it. And uh, that, yeah, it was all planned. How old are you now? I am uh, currently 42. Do you have any, do you have a systematic way of tracking your returns? Uh, yes. Are you willing to share what your annualized rates of return have been? Well, it, you know, they're not. It's it's not cons, it's not uh, consistent as as I would like. But you know, I had a in the nineties, I averaged for the entire decade around twenty five, twenty six percent for the entire nineties, even after the after the drawdown. And then from two thousand three to uh, well, was it two thousand eight? I averaged over twenty percent for all those years. Then I had a single digit year in two thousand two thousand uh, well, the two thousand nine single digit year. Then I've run around 12 to 20% since then. And I had one 50% year in an aggressive trading account. It, just, it gets complicated because there's so many different systems right. and different accounts and there's tax deferred, non-tax deferred. So it, it gets hard. It'd have to be like published on a spreadsheet, really. Of course. Any negative years 
2001 and 2002 were two negative years. Right, the tech, oh, and you got caught up in the tech, and then you've matured since then. Yeah, I have a much more steady flow, steady uh, equity curve now. Do you have any sense of how many hours per week you spend actively trading and studying your trades? Yeah, act, active trading, mostly I trade in the morning and at the close. I don't really trade much intraday. I mean, every now and then there'll be a signal intraday that I'll have to step in and do it, but I, I limit most, probably 90, 95% of my trading is either the open or the close. So I probably actually actively trade maybe 30, 45 minutes every couple of days. But the homework part is <laughs> at least three or four hours a day every day. Okay. And then, so what I'm moving at is I have an interest in uh, in trading, and a lot of people do. And there's this constant question about whether it's possible or advisable for any individual to try to compete in the public markets on, you know, today. It, trading has, I would assume, has changed substantially over the last couple decades in some ways, but then in other ways it hasn't. And so you as far as from the perspective of kind of being the lone person out trading their account, you're a bit of an anachronism uh, in terms of from what people used to think was possible. And so there's a lot of suspicion around, at least for me, there's a lot of suspicion around, is it even possible for people still just to trade their own individual account and do well, or is it worth the time? <laughs> do you, what, what would be your response to that? I'm interested. Yeah, I think I try to be the source for new traders, and I don't go in saying you're going to be a millionaire. I go in saying I'm going to help you survive your first year trading because there's so much sharks out there that's going to take money for nothing and don't teach risk risk management or psychology or anything. But I think if you're not really passionate about trading or investing or growing your own capital yourself, then you should uh, put it in more safer index funds and you know really be more of a long-term trend-following investor more than a trader. I do think it takes a level of passion. It's a big difference in watching, you know, football game and playing in the football game. You know, some people just want to watch. How would you know if you had that passion? <laughs> I, I, I think it's just something you're drawn to. Like it's sort of like for me, it was a taste when you know I got a taste of what could be done when I was young. How much how much capital I could make in, in trading and investing versus selling my time for money. And that was a taste that I just never could get rid of. You know, to this to this day, to have months where I'm making a month what I used to make in a year when I started a, when I first started my first job is just something I can't walk away from. Something right. I have to continue to pursue. Right. So it's kind of a selfish question. The reason I ask is, in the past, I come from the background of being a financial planner, uh, not so much a portfolio management. I've never been involved actively in managing portfolios, but primarily just on the planning side of things. And the interesting challenge that I've faced is over the last year, I've become uncomfortable with just some of the ethical positions of some of the major U.S. corporations in various industries and haven't wanted to profit from their overall uh, – I haven't really wanted to profit from from their business models. And so I've made the decision in the recent past and I've, I've sold all of my mutual funds, which was formerly just simply my approach to investing because I didn't have control over it. Now I'm in the position of being forced to reallocate my uh, my capital differently. And I'm willing to invest in publicly traded companies, but I am not willing to let someone else who doesn't hold my own personal concerns invest the capital for me. And so I've always had a vague interest about investing and a general interest in the topics of selecting companies. And I'm drawn to the concepts of uh, uh, value investing. And 
But it's hard for me to know whether I'm actually that passionate about you know, sitting down and following all the day-to-day news. And I tend towards thinking that it's not necessarily for me because I'm more interested in running my own business and, mm-hmm. and things than actually sitting and, and trading. But there's not a lot of guidance out there for a guy like me. There's not a lot of, of well, I mean, there's not a lot of guidance out there. What would you, how would you guide me? Yeah, I would get something simple that meets your personality. I mean, for you, it may be as simple as finding they, they do have, uh, which I don't like mutual funds because of the fees, and they, the vast majority never even outperform an index. So they get fees for nothing, but that's a whole other story. But but for somebody like you, you could find a, a even an ETF or a, a mutual fund that invests in only so, socially responsible corporations, and you could trend trade it using just a few moving averages and oscillators and it'll be just a simple system and you may not even have to uh you know make any changes but once once a month maybe with uh, a longer term trend following system where you could even use like a 100 or 200 day moving average you wouldn't have to make changes like once every six months or a year and you'd be on the predominant side of the trend and you'd be in socially responsible companies so set aside the socially responsible for a moment and tell me more about the mechanics of that what would the, what would that bring me as far as what benefits does that bring me as an individual investor if I follow that strategy you just outlined? Well, see, trend followers beat buy and hold investors. You know, buy and hold is what's sold mainly, I think, by the mutual fund industry because they're going to get fees for doing nothing. Well, they're not. They're, you go to a bear market and they just buy and they hold when the market's down 20%, 25%, or even 50%, and everyone loses all that money. And that's just, there's no reason for that when you simply, something as simple as selling when, the, when your investments get to the 200 day moving average. Like a 200 day moving average of price. Prices should be going up, not down. And on a chart, you'll have lines that are an average of the prices. And all you're doing is capturing trends. You want to see what you're buying is making higher highs and higher lows. When it starts making lower lows and lower highs, it's under distribution. And you want to be in investments that are being accumulated, not distributed. And that's really the basis of trading. And in, while investing is more uh, what people believe something should be worth, uh, trading is trading what it actually is worth. So if it's so easy to do, and it's then why doesn't every you know computer that's involved in running a portfolio do exactly the same thing where do you find your ability to compete well my edge is i'm not i I do small risk i'm like most people approach the market as like a gambler you know they're just gambling they don't know what they're doing they're just they're just gambling i I approach like the casino i'm making bets that are in my favor i'm i'm going to things that have a great risk reward ratio where the odds are I'm going to have a big win or, or a small loss. And I also cut my losses. If I'm wrong, I'll have a small loss. If I'm right, I could have a big win. You know, people say, why don't I put my losing trades you know, on the blog? It's because they last about a day. My winning trades last a month. You know, it's, that's an asymmetry where when you make good decisions, you make a lot of money. You, make, you have bad trades, you lose a little money. And that's part of the profitability is, is unlimited upside, controlled downside, small risk per trade, and uh, following trends in your time frame. The, the problems start when there's different market environments. There's bear markets, there's bull markets, there's volatile markets, and there's range-bound markets. So different things work at different times. Everything doesn't work at all times. That's where the trick the, it gets tricky. Do you have a sense of where we are on, you know, as we record this on May 7, 2015, do you have a sense of where we are as far as a market cycle and what types of strategies are appropriate at this point in time? Yeah, from the long-term chart, we've approached, we've, we've entered a new secular, a secular bull market, you know, breaking out all-time highs. With now we have the growth of China and India, and emerging markets all coming in for the first time. 
So it looks like we, we did break into a secular bull market, but we're really extended right now in the, in the, in this cycle of the bull market. And we're way overdue for a, for a correction of 10 to 20%. But I don't know when that's going to happen, but I'll be trading those moving averages in the direction that they're moving. And right this year has been completely range bound. We've only had about a one, a little bit over a 1% return on the SP 500. So it's been difficult to trade in that tight range. And many leading stocks are breaking down, like Twitter and LinkedIn. There's been a lot of the uh, bubble 2.0 stocks have really fallen hard the last few weeks. So it's it's not been an easy year this year. What are the bubble 2.0 stocks? You know, it's like this time. You know, the Nasdaq 2000 was when the Nasdaq was 5,000 year 2000. It was crazy PE ratios of 100 times earnings. You know, this time it's more stable. It's in a reasonable like 20 times earnings this time around that ballpark. So. So it's uh, it's not as crazy as it was in 2000, but there's still stocks like Twitter had uh, close to half a billion in revenue, but had very little profits, if any. And uh, LinkedIn still trying to monetize. You know, Facebook's already making billions per quarter. So, uh, but but a lot of the a lot of the prices of stocks and those kind of stocks are all based on expectations. And when the expectations are met, then they plunge. That's what happened in the year 2000, and that's what happened recently to several of the growth stocks. As opposed to value stocks, you know, it's where you're getting a very good earnings with very low price. So growth stocks are the opposite. You're paying for future expectations. So I recognize there's a reason why you started New Trader University. And I'm interested in your commenting about what would be the learning process. Let's say someone like me, um, you know, familiar with the familiar with the basic aspects of, of uh, you know, pretty, I mean, pretty competent when it comes to finance and pretty competent with, with all of the stuff that's required for, you know, CFP exam, which is modern portfolio theory and all of that, which, which is actually going to be a follow-up later question in a moment. But, um, but I'm not at all competent when it comes to trading. So what would be, after 20 years of experience, what would be the learning process that you would encourage someone like me to go through as far as building an educational system for myself, starting to work my way through it, and where would I go and what would I do? Well, I created a, a New Trader 101 e-course for just such an occasion so people could shortcut the 100 books you're, you're reading to try to learn how to trade. Because trading, it's just like any other entrepreneurial business where you have to have the right psychology and mindset to do it. You've got to control your risk in every decision you make, and you've got to have a methodology. You've got to have a trading methodology you're using. You have to incorporate that, you have to create a trading system on how you're going to use your trading methodology. Then you've got to have a trading plan on how you're going to execute your trading system safely. So it's, it's, a, it's a, the big three, psychology, risk management, and methodology, and then the methodology, you break it into a system and a plan, and then you execute it while managing risk. And that, that's sort of from the, the big picture going down. And how, it, how do you figure out when is where to start learning and then when you've learned enough and you're ready to kind of wade in and start doing? I think it's, you have to get uh, competence before you have confidence. When you have a trading plan, you know where your entries are going to be based on technical signals, where your exits are going to be. You know, how you're going to exit your winners, how you're going to exit your losers, how you can control your risk, exactly what your watch list is or what you're going to trade, you know, your, your patterns, the charts you're looking for, uh, then you're ready. When you have everything, everything is quantified that you're about to do, that's when you're ready. When you're going in with emotions and opinions and fear and greed and doubt, that's when you're going to have trouble. So it sounds super overwhelming. 
So here's, <laughs> here's the question that I want to ask. You don't seem to have a high opinion of mainstream brokered mutual funds, but what's the solution for somebody who's not as dedicated as you? I think it's just a simple, a simple trend-following system. I think that that's that's as simple as you can get it. You're simply trying to be called being long in bull markets and you can be out in bear markets and you're simply capturing trends and you're finding ways to capture those trends with simple the simple technical indicators like moving averages and a um, maybe even an really simple to keep the moving averages. If you keep the moving averages and you have some strategies how to stay out when it's volatile and to stay out of out of bear markets, you'll outperform the S&P. I mean, I outperform the S&P I think it was seven or eight straight years easily and then didn't didn't I didn't participate in the bear markets. I mean once it broke down through key support levels and moving averages, I just got out. So when all the the, the markets in turmoil on CNBC was around the clock, I wasn't even in it. I had banked my profits in two thousand seven and got out in January two thousand eight and I was just watching. So where does somebody start to learn about systems like that in addition to New Trader University? Is that what you start with or is that or do you have a book, some book recommendations or resources? Yeah, I've got a I've got a book, New Trader, Rich Trader, I wrote long ago that just has all the basic principles to start with. I mean, I'm sort of the the entry gate into it. Uh there's also a trend following system. Uh, Michael Covell, he wrote a book called Trend Following. That's a, a great book. Um, you've got uh, Alexander Elder wrote uh, Trading for a Living, which he covers all the dynamics of trading and all the technical systems. And, uh, you know, I blog. I have all kinds of examples on my blog of real trades. I trade live on Twitter. I put entries and exits on Twitter as I execute trades. What is your point of competition with the computers? <laughs> oh, high-frequency traders. They will outrun you and outgun you. And the way I beat high-frequency traders is to be a low-frequency trader. I don't participate in their madness. In intraday, you know, there's crazy things that go on nowadays where I don't know how some of these day traders even compete unless they have state-of-the-art computers. But I'm not trading on the day on the intraday timeline. I'm tr I'm trading on the daily time frame. So I have position sizes that still limit my risk exposure, and then I make my decisions at the end of the day and the beginning of the day before before uh, Skynet takes over. But are you not also in competition with people who've taken your approach to trend following and simply created algorithms to influence their own? Oh yeah, it, there's there's entire there's people I know that were uh, there's another a methodology called Can Slim, uh, William J O'Neill invented where you're, you're buying the the hottest growth stocks and the and there's these patterns cup and handle patterns and tight flags and all these different patterns that they trade off of for 20, 30 years, and they were very effective. And now, like you said, there are computer programs that game those systems. They, they, they game the entries. They enter when they do, and then they sell into the – they front-run their entries, and then they sell into them when they're all buying. And that, that has gone on. It, it has changed and evolved. You're exactly right. I try to stay outside of all that. Even though there's a group of legendary traders called the Turtle Traders that were, uh, that were trend followers that made amazing amounts of money. Oh, gosh – it's been 30 years now, and now there's even a system called Turtle Soup where they have the opposite of their system because everybody adopted their system, so they, uh, they uh, game them. So, yeah, that does happen. So aren't you concerned that by publishing and publicizing your own approaches and your own systems and your own trades that you're creating the competition that's ultimately <laughs> going to remove your ability to follow your own system? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I'm, I, I've grown more contrarian over the years. 
like a lot of the things I almost do opposite. Like I'm really trading the other traders more than I'm trading, uh, more than I'm, uh, that I'm trading the charts anymore. It's like I, we know what we're all about to do, so I either front run or fade. And it's, it's, it's pretty. It's even funny what happens intraday with some of the back testing I've done. It's just amazing the things that go on, and and uh, even the flash crash day was uh, well take, took the market down so bad, and then everybody got such great bargains that it ran right back up. So then are you, is your strategy to post your trades on Twitter and then follow up with trades you don't post on Twitter to tr- no. trade the traders? <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not that big of a deal to do that. I just, <laughs> but, 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 but so funny you say that, Josh, is that uh, I know my best trades when I, uh, you know, it'll be they think the world's going to end. You know, there's going to be a sequester of the government or Greece is going to default and everybody's freaking out. The Dow's down four, five, six hundred points. And then I go in and go long. Off of a oversold oscillator, everybody thinks I've lost my mind. When I know everybody thinks I've lost my mind, I know they're all out of that trade. There's nobody left to get out that wants out. You know, people have even taken short positions against it. So I know I'm in a good trade because everybody thinks I'm crazy. So, how do you develop a structured and strong psychology as a trader and an investor? You know, I, th- I think for me, it, I've studied so many charts. I've gone by hand back years ago, just thousands and thousands of charts and all the leading um, gross stock charts and all the the indexes. I'm really down to trading mainly the stock indexes now with leverage. And to look at a chart, you know, knowing that I've looked at every tick back in 1987 during the crash in 2008, and I've traded in lifetime for, uh, gosh, really deep study for the last decade. And I just feel the confidence that I know certain things don't happen, certain levels don't happen. And even if they do, my position's small enough where it's not going to change my lifestyle. So uh, I just, you know, it's just the confidence, like the ten thousand hour rule. I feel like I've crossed my ten thousand hours, and I, I feel very confident. And it's amazing to me all the books I read, even from seventy years ago. All the traders made the same mistakes. The vast majority, probably ninety percent of traders, are just gamblers. They're just trading their emotions, their opinions, their greed, their fear, and it just plays. It's like a big emotional soup over and over again. And now it's amplified by high-frequency traders. And uh, there's very few approaches like a business. How do you sniff out a well-written and useful investing book specifically regarding trading versus one that is poorly constructed and basically just written to make sales? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I can tell the ones written by writers and authors and written by people that have put the six figures on the line, you know, and have held the the risk themselves, have had the drawdowns, have lost the money. You can really tell quickly if they're not focused on psychology and risk management, then then they're just talking uh, book 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 reading. I mean, anybody who really trades that kind of money has that instant feedback of wins and losses, knows the importance of risk management and psychology. Because it, most people can't handle that. Even I, I know, I don't know how buying holders handle it, getting their 401k statement in a quarter and, and when they were down 10, 15%, much less to see thousands of dollars evaporate in front of their eyes when they're wrong. Why don't you trade for money or trade other people's money for money? Yeah, it's just, uh, I've done experiments with that and they don't understand how the, the equity curve works. You know, you don't, I don't, there is, the only person who ever had a steady equity curve was Bernie Madoff. He returned 1% to 2% every month for whatever it was, 30 years. It was just steady, and that's not the way it works. If somebody was that good, then they could own the world pretty quickly, compounding their money. 
and it's it's just you're gonna you're gonna have a, a phenomenal trader is going to return about fifteen to twenty percent a year on their capital. They're going to have about a five percent drawdown at some point, and that's a phenomenal trader. But most professional money managers blow up accounts, even hedge fund managers. They blow up. They have. 25, 30% drawdowns, you know, they might have a 50% return year or a 60% return year, and the odds are that they're taking on far too much risk and they're going to give it all back the next year. I mean, they can make money in the right markets, but somebody can has to consistently make it and keep it. That's where the problems start at all levels. So are the portfolio managers on those accounts do they know better and they're just being forced by the market because their returns are being publicized, they're being compared to the benchmark? Are mm-hmm. they being forced to take on these more aggressive scenarios because it's all a, a hunt for hunt for capital to flow in? Oh, yeah. I'm friends with lots of professional money managers and hedge fund managers, and they all have the pressure of the clients because the clients will withdraw funds. I mean, they want to see returns every single month and quarter. And they get nervous after a quarter. And the funny thing is, a lot of them underperform their funds because when they have a bad quarter and they're down four or five percent, then they start pulling out their funds and locking in those losses. And uh, yeah, the, the client pressure on professional managers is just incredible. I, I would—that's not my path to happiness, I'm sure. So this leads to the real problem that guys like me face is how do you as kind of the in-between how do you help individual people because i recognize a lot of the problems with uh with portfolio management i recognize a lot of the problem with the mutual fund structure head fund structure has its own benefits and its own drawbacks but the majority i mean would you agree that the majority of people are not going to follow a trading system like you have created on their own without somebody to help them do it oh yeah the vast majority all the the market wizards books and a lot of the the greatest traders like Paul Tudor Jones and Ed Sakota that they all manage money they all manage hundreds of millions well Paul Tudor Paul Tudor Jones did and then Ed Sakota turned it into tens of millions and they all managed money and then they and then they slowly evolved into their own thing but uh, it's just uh, I don't know, I think people have to be educated I just uh, educated enough to follow a simple long term trend following system. I just just like you have to make a budget for your household or you have to be wise about what you spend and you have to get your car maintenance done. You have to plan vacations. You have to have a career. I think you have to have a basic knowledge of investing or trading for your own good. I just uh, I can't imagine someone not taking that you know seriously enough to have some kind of a process in place, even if it's a buy and hold a, a stock index mutual fund. When you started trading, how did you accumulate your initial trading capital? Well, I was fortunate that I was in a company at the time that had a profit sharing program, and I was getting a ten to a ten to fifteen percent distribution in a tax deferred account when I was uh, eighteen years old. So I kept building that capital up, and I was putting everything I could into uh, tech mutual funds through the nineties, with little understanding of what I was even doing. I was mainly just an investor in tech companies from up until two thousand. For the most part, I did do some trading in and out of the NASDAQ. I tried to do some swing trading, but had no idea what I was doing, but but did very well. So so uh, that was a bad start. But uh, at really the compounding, I mean, I, until I started getting trading, uh, started building other trading accounts outside of my tax deferred account to spend on living expenses, uh, I just let that one account grow for all those years. So it's amazing how it just grew and grew. You know, you compound at, what is it, um, 12% for six years, it doubles. Mm-hmm. And you compound that again for another six years, and that doubles. And then suddenly your returns are uh, are substantial when you get in the multiple six figures uh, for normal people. 
but uh, I think I think it's crucial not to not to eat your seeds when you're young to start young let it grow and and if your company has a 401k plan always maximize your match if they will match you at five percent of your income you need to put in five percent they'll give you five percent then you're getting a 100 percent return on your capital and that's amazing then if you're investing in any kind of index funds and you're returning 12 percent a year you're getting a 12 percent per year 12 percent return after you get your 100 percent initial return so that's that's something huge a lot of people are missing but doesn't that doesn't that violate your rule of not uh, not using just the mutual funds that are commonly available in four hundred one k plans? Well, most of them now have an S and P five hundred fund, and that's one of my major trading vehicles is the S and P five hundred. And I use options, I use leverage ETFs, I use different things. I like the S and P five hundred, but as an index fund itself, I mean, it outperforms like eighty ninety percent of all mutual funds that are managed and get fees, and then over. Long periods of time, it out, outperforms all managed mutual funds that are in its uh, the big cap uh, mutual funds. So that's a way to beat almost all the mutual fund companies. Simply going to an S and P five hundred fund that simply manages the index because it itself is a survivor biased fund because the the good companies come in, the bad companies go out. You know, the S and P five hundred is an actively managed um, index, and most fund managers can't beat it. What's your opinion on the efficiency of the U.S. public equity markets? The efficiency of uh, raising capital for no the efficient market hypothesis and your <laughs> personal experience when when someone says if I say to you efficient market hypothesis what's your reaction to that term? <laughs> if the the markets were e- efficient, that would mean everyone was lo- logical and rational and did what was in their own best interests from all available information, and that's the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> 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 that I think 2008 proved that wrong. So would you hold to – so you've got in the efficient market hypothesis, you've got the strong form, the semi-strong form, and the weak form. Would you hold to at least the weak – I mean would you hold to the idea that the markets are mostly efficient with occasional uh, you know, inefficiencies? Or would you just simply say I can almost always find uh, a little corner of the market where something is available for me to exploit? Oh, I can say it's like it's runoff animal spirits. It's just animal spirits of greed and fear, and, and <laughs> it's just it's just. I mean, it's just so funny the contrarian thing where everybody thinks they're efficient when they're out of the market when the the bottom is in and you know they can't go any farther down in a in a short term time frame. It's when everybody thinks they're out and it's going to plummet to the abyss because everybody's already out, and they think that that they really think that's when it's over, and that's that's the perfect time to buy. Because it's the most inefficient thing for everyone to be out when everyone should be in. Do you have kids, Steve? Yes, I have three children. How old are they? They are 16, 17, and 23. Have any of them taken an interest in investing and you've, that you've taught them anything? Well, my, uh, my older daughter, Jana, she's actually with my co-author of my New Trader, Rich Trader books, one and two, because she's, her, her big thing was uh, fiction writing. So, <clears throat> so she brought a some uh, nice storyline to the books. So she co-authored those books, and she's already started her uh, 401k and her stock option plan at her job. And uh, my middle daughter, Kelly, won a stock trading, stock market game they played at school, and she won out of a class of, of 20-something. Did you predict her trades for her, or did she do it herself? <laughs> no, she had a, they played like a time frame, and it was like she went all into railroads, I think, and, it, and then she got out of it toward the peak. You know, she did use some principles she learned and actually won. But it was a, it was a based on a historical stock market game. How have you taught your kids about investing? What methods and strategies have you used to do that? 
I try to teach them, you know, they should be entrepreneurs and they should always be looking to not only be an employee somewhere when they're starting out, but be an investor in the company and and be a be a trader and an investor as well as an employee. You know, I like Robert Kiyosaki's four quadrants and to participate in all of them, not just uh, the employee one. And I explain to them, you know, you don't you're not going to ever get rich selling your time. And uh and just explain to them entrepreneurism and how the, the future and the, the real things, the real opportunities in the future are going to rely. And everybody now can have their own YouTube channel, their own blog, their own podcast, their own. Um, uh, they can create their own ebooks on Amazon. I mean, this is like the golden age for entrepreneurs in the world. And I encourage them all to be entrepreneurs in whatever form it takes. Have they followed your encouragement? <laughs> Yeah, they're all. Uh, they've all got big plans, which a lot of them are going to go down the realm of academia and military and uh, and, and different things. But uh, but uh, they do know the importance of starting young, building their nest eggs. Did you use any tools to actually teach them? Because I that makes sense from a, like a personal finance perspective and a philosophy perspective uh, on entrepreneurship. But did you use any tools to actually teach them about the mechanics of? valuing a, uh, a company, following a trend, the mechanics of choosing companies that they had an interest in and owning the stock and following the news of that company. Did, did you use anything specific with them? Yeah, I have showed them charts and explained to them on charts. And, and I even explained them like life lessons. On the end of my book, uh, Rich, New Trader, Rich Trader, I go into the whole thing about every principle in, in, in trading, the risk management, the, the psychology, and the, and the methodology all apply to all areas of life. You know, cutting your losers short is a big trading uh, trading advice to never have big losses, but that applies in all parts of life. You know, you shouldn't have negative friends or are being horrible relationships and are being horrible jobs. You should cut all your losers short in any area of your life. And you know, you should never risk ruin by making bad decisions in any area of your life, not just in trading. And you should approach all things with a with a known methodology that works, not just you know random. And and you should always be goal oriented, have a plan. So I think. A lot of it translates, and that's something I tried to instill instill to all of them. What's the hardest lesson that you've learned in your career as a trader? Well, taking <clears throat> taking the drawdowns and the I'm going to get I'm going to get some water. Uh, taking the big losses and not quitting, you know, persevering, putting in the work, and persevering because you know all entrepreneurs, I'm sure they have that thing where they want to quit and they're down and they. They have to keep the hope alive and keep their future goals in, in place. You know, there's been a couple of times, you know, that was a bad time, bad market environments, really tricky times. And I had multiple losses in a row. And you have to really take a, a check and, and realize it's worth it and you go back in. And what always kept me going is there's nowhere else I know to go to make that kind of money. There's just, I mean, I just, I mean, unless you start your own business and, and I don't want to deal with employees and, and leases and inventory and all that stuff. So, I think uh, this is my best path to prosperity and and continued growth of capital and uh, and one day having enough money to do nothing. I mean, I have enough money and I do whatever I want to do, but I don't want to have enough money where I don't have to do anything. What are you going to do with your money when you reach the point where you don't ha- where you have enough money to where you don't have to do anything? <laughs> I think I'm always going to. Tr- so funny is I think no matter what, I'm always going to trade my own accounts and I'm always going to be on social media. I, I just I don't know why I've always had a I've loved Twitter and Facebook from the beginning. I just enjoy the interactions. I enjoy the seeing how many favorites and retweets I can get. I enjoy uh, meeting people. 
I've met a bunch of great traders and people that used to be my were my heroes as trading authors and and traders. I've met them through Facebook, you know, through connections, and it's just been an amazing journey to be able to uh, in, in modern time to connect with all these people. And uh, I enjoy it. That's something I'll always be on social media and I'll always be trading. Do you think of yourself as an introvert, an extrovert? It's funny. I think I'm an introvert, and uh, I've always loved kind of help people and educate people and teach people. It just gets frustrating to see people make bad decisions. So I've always been an introvert, and I think social media has really given me an outlet where I can you know, express myself on, on social media without being face-to-face with people. I think that's helped me be more open and, and, and meet and share things with people. How long ago did you start New Trader University? I think, my, I think it was 2011. My buddy made it for me, and I did it for a few months. I thought, well, what's the purpose of this? And I quit doing it. And then I got bored. I'm like, well, what the heck do I do? I'm not doing, you know, what, what am I doing with my time? I'm not into sports. I'm not really into video games. So I ended up going back to, to blogging and to uh, social media because I just, that's what I do. It's just something I do entertaining. I don't know what else to do with my time. It's only so many movies you can watch or TV. So your experience in four years of being involved in the business, has it been profitable? Has it been fun? Has it been something that's made a significant financial contribution to your life? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've had my best, my absolute best uh, trading years right after writing a book. Just really nice, really great trading years. It's just crazy. I make, I don't do it for the royalties. I make far more off the actual trading itself and and get myself in the higher tiers of uh, trading capital amounts. And uh, the people I've met and the fun I've had and, uh, and, and, and the, profits and starting the business and helping. I think I've helped a lot of people. I think I have the most affordable helping system for traders on in the industry. I think it makes people angry. I publish ebooks for two nine nine where other people are selling their technical books for seventy nine ninety nine. Don't think I'm making any friends in the industry doing that. Do you what what I'm trying to drive at, I guess, is just I'm interested in your so I'm an online entrepreneur. My business is in some ways similar to yours, I'm trying to follow through, you know, you're ahead of me in terms of the value that you've been able to deliver and the e-courses and, and some of those things. I've been primarily in the beginning stages of kind of building the platform uh, and my folk area of focus is not on technical investing or technical trading, but rather it's on personal financial management. Um, so I'm just interested in, I guess, the lifestyle that's come out of the online business because in many ways it seems like piggybacking off the comments you made it seems like we have an an amazing opportunity to be able to build these online businesses in areas (laughs) that we we have expertise it's it's, Mm -hmm. there's never been a better time in the history of the world for this kind of thing yeah it's it's like um you have to which my my wife is a web developer and um and uh she's believing content marketing and and in her whole life, so she's been an amazing asset for me to have as I keep going down this journey. But it's, it's like you said, you have to create value for people online and get the following, and then be and then be known as an expert in the room, and then provide them with with materials that they're happy to pay for, and then delivering a value that's far above what they paid. And it's a it's an it's it's a it's not an easy process, not an easy process. And I've watched so many people around me fail over the last uh, last five years trying to do it. And uh, and uh, I think as long as I keep providing, I provide I provide more value free than most people provide paid. 
So I feel good about my my position in that. And then I always give great values when I want to go to another level for people with books or with e-courses. Well, we're trying to do the same business model, so I'll, <laughs> I'll keep following you. And that's what I'm that's what I've been trying to do. <laughs> Three final questions. What is the best trade you've ever made? And what was the psychology behind it uh, in your memory? The one that stands out in your mind? Uh, this was this was a great morning. It's, it gets a little bit complicated because it is using derivatives. Go for it. But, but uh, uh, Apple, you know, Apple was my big long play of 2012. I was long Apple from 385 to $700 a share. But I never owned any Apple stock. I was playing in the money weekly options all the way up in the trend. And of course, everybody thought I lost my mind. I bought Apple at all time highs, which is contrarian. Everybody would think it's efficient. It, that's the high. It shouldn't go any higher. But I understood more of the, of the possibilities of the psychology of Apple with their, I, their iPads and their iPhones were just taking over the world at that time, which they still are. But uh, so I traded it on the long side all the way up. I mean, you know, I had a phenomenal. You had a fifty percent return quarter, which is just unbelievable for uh, my risk management parameters. That's just incredible. And I never owned Apple stock. I was also doing Priceline at the same time. Yeah, those stocks were just you know kept going up every day. Ten twenty dollars a share. It was just incredible time. But had a great quarter. And then it started falling from seven hundred, and I was out most of the time. But it, it plunged for several days in a row. And uh, it was cr- so overextended. And it, so I went in and I, on Friday, the weekly options expire, so they're really cheap because you got to have a big move to make anything or they'll be worthless. So I ended up buying and controlling half a million Apple share, half a 500,000, was it five, let me think, five con- half a million dollars in Apple long and then half a million dollars in Apple short. So if it moved dramatically in either direction on Friday, I would make you know, a, a good amount of money quickly. So, uh, so I end up I was I owned Apple calls and Apple puts, big position size but small amount of money at risk. It was going to be all or nothing pretty quickly. I was going to exit in the morning before the time decay kicked in on the options. So uh, it ended up gapping. I'm going to have a blog about it. it. Ended up gapping down. I don't know what it was. Some crazy thirty dollars a share or something in one direction. And one of my one side of it went in the money. And I, one side of my play was up like seven thousand dollars. And I only held them for. I only held them for like 15 minutes in the close and 10 minutes the next morning. So in a 20-minute trade, I was up almost $7,000. And that was just, at that time, three years ago, that was a crazy amount of money. And then I had to uh, had to get out of it as quickly as I could. But, uh, it, was, it, was, it was like I was controlling a million dollars worth of Apple, half of me in both directions. It was a very clever, compl- complex play for me. And uh, it ended up plunging and then reversed. And uh, so that was a that was a good morning. <laughs> that's after I played it on the long side all year. <laughs> that sounds fun. You can I can just kind of sense the adrenaline <laughs> kicking back up in your voice as you tell the story. <laughs> yeah, I will never forget that morning. How about the flip side? What's the worst trade, and what happened that caused it to be really bad? Oh boy, I think the two. I think the the big the big hard one was my made my main account, and then uh, in March of two thousand. Dad and Nasdaq 5,000, and I thought I was a genius, and I had enough in my account to pay off my house at 20, 28 years old, had I chosen to do so at the time, so I felt really good about it. And then the plunge began, and the plunge, and then I would go out, wait for the plunge for a few days, get back in, it continued to plunge the entire uh, Nasdaq, the tech stocks, and everything I had done hadn't worked. Everything I had done up to that point stopped working because we went from a from a really a secular uh, bull market into a secular bear, bear market. 
because a lot of that till this year, Nasdaq didn't come back to five thousand. So just to, to lose money day after day after have made money consistently for almost um, seven or eight years, and then just to lose and lose and get down to the point of being down fifty percent in my main account by two thousand three, early two thousand three, that was just such a long, brutal beating, and taught me so many lessons on uh, on uh, not holding losers and having risk management and not over exposing myself to a sector and it just taught me every lesson i learned i learned banged into my head day after day what you felt like was literally years you know to never come back and make those make those mistakes again when you're emotionally connected in that kind of pain you do not make those mistakes again was it was your major problem that you were trading emotionally or was the major problem that you didn't have the right cues what was the major issue going on in your head at that time I think the major problem, I think I couldn't believe that the NASDAQ could go from 5,000 to 2,000. I thought that was impossible at that time. And not having an open mind to any kind of price action happening kept me stubbornly, kept trying to swing trade to the long side, thinking that that was the dip, it would rebound. And it did have some small rebounds, but uh, the the plunge downward was just relentless for the majority of that time for the entire market until, 2000, until halfway through 2003. So yeah, just being not not being flexible. If I'd have been flexible and would have knew how to play the short side or bought put options at that point, that could have been some of my best years of trading. But instead, it was my worst because of stubborn because of just stubbornness and ignorance. <laughs> well, <laughs> you've learned, right? <laughs> <laughs> yep, you've learned. My final question is this: When you think about the impact of goal setting and financial independence. Well, let's just let's just simplify the question. What does financial independence mean to you, and how will you know when you're there? I think financial independence means that I can get up every day and do whatever I want to do, and that that to me is financial independence. And it, it can come from cash flow, where I've got cash flowing assets to pay all my bills, or it can go from having a large enough uh, savings of capital that I can live off the interest, or I can uh, or I can trade it. But it's just having the freedom to do whatever you want to do. You don't have to do anything you don't want to do anymore in any aspect of your life. And I think uh, goal setting is a key. I read Tony Robbins' book, uh, Unlimited Power, in 1991 when I was 18. And I wrote goals next to it, which seemed crazy at the time because I come from a very, very humble background. And I ended up achieving all those goals within years because I knew what I wanted and I was going after those things. It changed my decision-making process. So many people don't even know where they're going. And they just they don't end up anywhere. They just wander around. So I think the knowing where you want to go and making all the decisions that lead you in that direction is then if you get the goals in place and you're willing to do what it takes to get there, then only time separates you from your uh, ultimate destination. Seems simple, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, until you yeah, you gotta put those hours in though. <laughs> A lot of hard work connected <laughs> with it. Do you uh, do you have are you financially independent or do you have an idea of when you might be there? <laughs> I think I, I, I'm on paper, I'm financially independent. I mean, I could, I, I should be able to live off my assets and my uh, businesses for the rest of my life right now, theoretically. But, you know, so many uh, wild cards in place. I feel like, you know, I just need, a, I probably just need a couple more years and then I will, I will truly be financially independent where I should never have to do anything again for the rest of my life. Exciting. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of, it's a, just a few more steps in my process. Very cool. 
That's exciting. Well, we look forward to uh, to uh, watching you finish finish out the, the game plan. <laughs> so, give me, I'd like you to just take a second and plug your stuff, plug your website, plug your courses, plug your books. Tell people kind of where they should start and who might be interested. Um, give your sales pitch on your stuff. I want to give you that opportunity here at the end. Yeah, I, uh, my, I've, I've created an e-course called New Trader One Hundred and One that that has video uh, explanations of all the elements of successful trading to give anyone who wants it a shortcut through reading a hundred complex trading books to get to the meat of the matter. So there's an e-course available on my website, newtraderu.com. And then I've also got an e-book, New Trader 101, that's a, a quick uh, Kindle edition read for people that would like to read uh, read the e-book. I've also got my bestsellers, uh, New Trader Rich Trader and New Trader Rich Trader 2, uh, Actually, my Nutrate 101 was a bestseller in, uh, when it first launched, so that was good. Number one in stock market investing on Amazon Kindle. And, um, and uh, I also have uh, forums inside of my Nutrator, Nutrator 101 e-course where people can come in and ask questions and go through any kind of dialogue they'd like to to be coached through the process on their step one of learning how to trade. And you can I blog almost every – well, I do blog every single day, NutratorU.com. Every day I blog, and I'm on Twitter at uh, – S. Joseph Burns uh, on Twitter. And how much does your New Trader 101 course cost? It is uh, f- just for the student forum and the student course is f- only $49. I spent, I spent that much on almost every trading book I ever bought. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I know the feeling. My wife was talking to the neighbor and... <laughs> <laughs> today and she was excuse me she was talking to the neighbor's wife and the neighbor's wife was talking about her husband and, and the fact that she gave him a um a bookshelf in the house and said, yeah but he just filled it up and it's like yeah i gave joshua two bookshelves and his books are stacked to the ceiling yeah. now. <laughs> sometimes i look at the amount of money i've spent on books and i just think man maybe i shouldn't have done that but i've always <laughs> felt like the knowledge was worth a lot more than the the price of the book Absolutely. Steve, thanks for making the time to come on. This has been super fun. And I hope that people I hope that it gives people an opportunity who are interested in trading and then come over and, and start to get involved with your community. And I appreciate your making the time to come on today. All right. Thanks, Joshua. If you're interested in getting started in stock trading, I think it sounds like New Trader University would be a good place to start. I'm sure there are other programs out there. I'm sure there are other good ones out there, but uh, this one sounds like it'd be worth checking out. So I would love y'all's feedback. If any of you are involved in his community, come by the show notes for today's show and comment. Uh, or if you get involved, uh, love your feedback for other listeners and, and to find out more about what's there. I haven't participated in any of Steve's programs, but I hope that maybe some of you will do that for him. Uh, just go to NewTraderU.com and you can check that information out. Remember this. Paying for education is almost always a wise investment. All of us, all of us, who was it that originally said it? We stand on the shoulders of giants, uh, every single one of us. And oftentimes the path of progress is not pretty. It's not always smooth. It's often difficult. And when we're learning things and debating things and arguing about things, <laughs> it's often hard to keep that perspective uh, because so many of the times we forget that the things that we now take for granted at one time weren't so-called common knowledge. At one time, people argued about them vigorously, and then the best ideas won out. My point is just simply that investing in education and understanding about what other people have done can probably go a long way towards helping you to avoid the mistakes. You can certainly go and build wisdom from making all kinds of your own mistakes. That's one approach. 
Or you might consider working and learning from other people's mistakes. That's the approach that I think makes a lot more sense. Uh, Paying for education that's generalized can often not be such a great idea because we don't have application. And if there's no application for knowledge and for education, then oftentimes it just flits out of our brain. But for education that's specialized, that has hands-on practical value to your goals, that can be incredibly useful to you. So don't have any special sales pitch for that. I don't have any affiliate link or anything like that. And again, I haven't uh, been into Steve's products, but he was recommended by a listener. My point is more general than just specifically his his information. But if you're interested in trading, it sounds like it would be a good place to start, newtraderu.com. That's it for today's show. Thank you all so much for help uh, for listening today. I hope uh, this interview is useful to you. I hope it can help you to steer clear of some of the mistakes that so many of us can make. If this content has been valuable for you, I don't have any affiliate links for Steve's stuff, but I do have my own stuff at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. It's a model of voluntary support where if this information has been valuable for you, you can come by RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron and you can support the show voluntarily. Details at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you for listening to today's show. Please subscribe to the podcast with our free mobile app so you don't miss a single episode. Just search the app store on your device for Radical Personal Finance and you'll find our free app. If you have received value from the content of this show, please consider becoming a patron. Your financial support is how I pay the bills for the show and how I plan to grow our content. You can support the show with as little as a dollar a month or as much as you feel the content is worth. Details are at RadicalPersonalFinance.com slash patron. If you'd like to contact me personally, my email address is Joshua at RadicalPersonalFinance.com or connect with the show on Twitter at RadicalPF and at Facebook.com slash RadicalPersonalFinance. This show is intended to provide entertainment, education, and financial enlightenment. But your situation is unique, and I cannot deliver any actionable advice without knowing anything about you. Please, develop a team of professional advisors who you find to be caring, competent, and trustworthy, and consult them, because they are the ones who can understand your specific needs, your specific goals, and provide specific answers to your questions. I've done my absolute best to be clear and accurate in today's show, but I'm one person and I make mistakes. If you spot a mistake in something I've said, please come by the show page and comment so we can all learn together. Until tomorrow, thanks for being here.